you hear between 20 to 30,000 words every day. I won't go into who's saying them, if you're you know, married and that sort of thing, but uh, 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 most of them go in one ear and out the other, don't they? Some of them, however, are a little bit more catchy than others, partly because of uh, they are easy to remember or something like that. And we can remember them even for years to come. So I'm just going to put this to test and see the power of advertising, okay? So Nike, if I was to say, uh, think, if you were to think of Nike's slogan, if I was to say just to you, you would say... Just do it. Yes, yes, very good. Uh, okay, Apple. If I was to say think, you would say, oh, it's not as good advertising of Apple there, is it? Think different is Apple's uh, slogan. Okay, this one you will get. L'Oreal, because... There you go. Yes, okay. Now, if you're under the age of 40, you may not get this one, but if you're over the age of 40, it will come straight back, even though you haven't heard it in over 30 years. So, Mars. If I was to say, a Mars a day, let's look. See, kids, that's what I grew up hearing, how the goodness of sugar and glucose that were there for you. And whilst we're in the past, before... Starburst became Starburst, they were opal There you go, they're made to make your mouth water. Now, kids, every time I say the word opal that's going to play, and I'm going to throw out sweets. So you're allowed to come and get some sweets. If your parents say you're allowed, that is. Look at these adults looking sad over here. You can have some out there as well, like that. There you go. Have, have some sweets. You see, so some words are catchy, but some words can have a deep impact in our lives uh, as well. You know, in the school playground, kids may say to a kid who's being mean to them, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And there's a certain robustness of character, which is good for children to sort of develop uh, in, that, in that setting. But it'd be a very different story if it was a teacher or even a parent that was continually being mean to a child. Because the truth is, words do have a deep impact on us. They, they affect how we feel about ourselves, about life generally. They can cause people to do great things or conversely terrible things as well. People can live their lives and even give their lives for a set of ideals that have been laid before them. History again and again shows how the pen is mightier than the sword, particularly when it comes to issues of right and wrong. And... Whilst we're on that, let me just say, when we come to the issues of right and wrong, there is no neutral ground here. Even the pluralistic view that says, oh, everything, every religion and that is equal, is itself a religious view. So whether it be atheism, whether it be Buddhism, whether it be Hinduism, whether it be Islam or Christianity, they all come with a particular view. And they cannot 
all be true because they contradict each other. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor and writer of Narnia, says this. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. What it cannot be is moderately important. So it's, it's either right or it's of no value at all. So today, as we continue in this series on the words of Jesus, we're going to look at, in particular, the power or the authority of Jesus' words and the focus of Jesus' words to us today. So the authority of Christ's words. As Jesus was God in human form, the word of God made flesh, you would expect his words to be super impressive, completely true, amazingly powerful, and uniquely rememberable. Rememberable like opal fruits. Opal fruits make making water. Kids all over this side today. Oh, some at the back there. Adults, you can help yourself as well. Rememberable like that, but with much deeper deeper uh, meaning to them. And Jesus doesn't disappoint us as he, uh, with his words. Jesus' words are the most read words in history and the most influential words, like from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed be the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, are considered to be by many the greatest words ever uttered by human lips. Those coming along trying to trap Jesus in his words ended up trapping themselves or be get, being given spellbounding responses like render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's or render to God the things that are God. Those who were sent to arrest Jesus were arrested by his words and returned empty-handed saying no one ever spoke like this man before. When Jesus had said some things that were controversial and his uh, and people were leaving him. He said to his disciples, do you want to go to Peter's response? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. Peter knew that Jesus' words were totally reliable, that they were true and that in them they had power, so much power that eternal life was caught up in listening to and obeying the words of Jesus. In fact, Jesus claimed that your life, how your life goes, will be dependent on what you do with his words. He says this in Matthew 7, familiar verses, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain came down and the floods came up and the wind blew and beat against that house and it did not fall because it was built on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain came down and the floods came up and the wind blew against it and the house on the sand fell 
fell flat. Yes, as the song goes and the scriptures say. And what a great fall it was. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching as one who had authority, not as the scribes. How did the scribes teach? Well, much like we do today. They never referred to themselves. They'd always refer, well, the Bible says, the scriptures uh, say this. They would, they would source what they were saying on an authority other than themselves. And yet Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He himself was the final authority on the things that he taught. Oswald Sanders, in, in his book, The Incomparable Christ, says, when Jesus spoke on any subject, there was nothing more that needed to be said. He who was the truth spoke the truth, and on no occasion it arose for modification or retraction of his spoken word. This can clearly be seen in uh, John 13, where he goes to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's sort of said, no, 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 Lord. And, uh, and then he says, OK, well, wash my, my hands and my head as well. And it's just like, shush, Peter, be quiet. Jesus knows what he is saying. Jesus' words were so powerful, they came with such authority that the sick were healed at his word. The blind could see, the deaf heard for the first time. Those who, some who had died were raised at his command. Experienced fishermen who were scared that their life was about to end because of the wind and the waves. Jesus just stood up and said to them, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And the disciples were filled, it says, with a great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Those who came to arrest him with swords and clubs fell back before him when he said, I am he. When he was a prisoner before the most powerful man in the region, Pilate. Sanders shows how the scriptures make clear that um, both by his silence and by his words, Jesus made it clear that it was Pilate and the Jews who were on trial before him, not he before them. My friends, I hope the Holy Spirit as I've been speaking, is impressing upon you a renewed and new sense of reverence and awe for the words of Jesus, to listen to them and obey what the Son of God tells us to. None of his words were idle words because he only spoke what the Father told him to speak. No one ever spoke like Jesus because no one else has ever been like Jesus, fully God and fully man. His words are totally trustworthy. 
They have power to set you free, to make you whole, to give you life and life eternal. His words, they undo you and then they rebuild you to make you the person that God truly wants you to be. Jesus' words cleanse you. They make you feel clean on the inside because they make you clean. If you listen to Jesus' words, you will be happier. You will live a more fulfilled life. You'll become a better person. If you ignore Jesus' words, then it's to your detriment, not only in this life, but also in the eternal life to come, because our eternity depends completely on what we do with Jesus. You see, Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else because he doesn't want you to go there. Choosing to listen to Jesus' words is choosing eternal life. Choosing to ignore them is choosing eternal separation from God. And if you're here this morning or you're watching this morning and you think, actually, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, then just pray this prayer along with me now of surrender to Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me enough to send Jesus to die for me on the cross. Please forgive me of all the things that I've done that are wrong, that offend you. And through the power of your spirit, help me to live the rest of my life for you, putting into practice the, the things that Jesus has told me to. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, I'd love to, to speak to you. Or if you prayed it at home, please contact the office. We'd love to speak to you and give you... Uh, why Jesus uh, leaflet as well to explain a bit more about what you have done. But that's the authority of Christ's words. Now let's look at the focus of Christ's words to us as well. Chris Wright, in his book, The Uniqueness of Christ, says, The kingdom of God, as preached by Jesus, centered on himself, who he was, and what he had come to do. For a man to claim that the scriptures concerning the future work of God were fulfilled in himself, that he had power to forgive sins, that he was Lord over the Sabbath, that he was the Son of Man to whom eternal dominion would be given, was simply blasphemy. That is why they crucified him, for putting himself at the centre where they knew God should be. Jesus' teaching centred on himself and he brought it in his authority and spoke about our need for him. Chris Wright rightly points out that it was blasphemy unless Jesus was God. C.S. Lewis wrote, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else 
he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. John 10, verse 30 to 33, reveal, um, show these two points that Chris Wright and uh, C.S. Lewis are making very clearly. In that passage, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again, again, to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For, for which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it's not for the good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. A little bit more deep than opal fruits, isn't it? There. Opal fruits make make water. These guys here look a bit. Oh, you're very lonely over there. Okay, you can have some more over there. Give one to June there as well. Oh, it went in your handbag nearly, June. That was a good shot, wasn't it? Do you know, countless books have been written about Jesus' teaching. So probably the easiest way for me to sum it up in the, in the next few minutes, because that's all I've got left, is to look at the seven I am statements found in John's Gospel, which we saw some of them before. All of them, in and of themselves, would be inappropriate for a man or just a man, to say. So let's have a look at them. John 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is clearly saying, just as we need bread to sustain and satisfy us physically, he is the one who sustains and satisfies us spiritually as well. John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To a world lost in the darkness of sin, Jesus is the true light to guide us through this life into life eternal. John 10, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I came that they may have life and life abundantly. Jesus is the way through which the true sheep of God enter the fold, whether it be Jew or Gentile. All have to enter through him and find fullness of life in Jesus. John 10 goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He's reframing our understanding of Psalm 23. There where the Lord's our shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. He is the one who guides and protects and cares for his sheep, even at the cost of his own life. John 11, these words, just listen to the magnitude of them. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Those who believe in Jesus will never die. And when they, when they die in this life, they will rise to life eternal where there will be no more death. All because of Jesus. John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No way of getting to God. No way of getting into heaven, but through believing in Jesus and following him. Not about being a Jew, not about through good works, not about through other religions, only through Christ. Jesus is the truth. And then finally, John 15, I am the true vine, you are the branches. The vine being a clear picture in the Bible of the old covenant people of God, of Israel. Jesus is clearly teaching, he is the true Israel. He is the fulfillment of God's promise to Isaac, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. To abide in him is a true marker of whether you are in the people of God or not. And this changes forever how we understand becoming and belonging to God's chosen people. True followers bear the fruit of becoming more Christ-like in their character and pointing people to Jesus. You see, Jesus' ministry and his teaching focused on himself because he is the answer. Therefore, how much more should we, as his people, be focused on him? How much is your life focused on Jesus today? My friends, in closing, Jesus' words came with authority because he had all authority. And Christ's words focused primarily on himself as ultimately he is all we need for life and godliness. Therefore, we should focus people towards Jesus as to believe in the Son of God is the primary act of obedience required of us all. Everything else flows from that. I'll just say that again. To believe in the Son of God is the primary act of obedience. Everything else flows from believing in him. Tom, do you want to come and lead us in communion?